Section number 53 of A History of the Inquisition of Spain, Volume 3. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Naomi Brewster, Melbourne, Australia. A History of the Inquisition of Spain, Volume 3, by Henry Charles Lee. Book number 8, Chapter 3. Part 5. Spheres of Action. Protestantism. The next auto was celebrated April 26, 1562, and comprised 49 cases of Lutheranism. There were nine relaxed in person, and, as none of them are described as obstinate, it may be assumed that all were garroted. There was one effigy of the dead and 15 of fugitives. Of the latter, nine were monks of San Isidro, among whom were Cipriano de Valera and Cassiodoro de Reina. That the native stock of heretics was becoming exhausted is seen in the fact that of the 33 persons figuring in the auto, 21 were foreigners, mostly Frenchmen. This was followed by another auto, October 28th of the same year, in which there were 39 cases of Lutheranism, of which nine were relaxations in person and three of fugitives in effigy, none of the culprits being described as impenitent. There were nine reconciliations, 17 abjurations de viamenti, and one de levi. The number of ecclesiastics is a noteworthy feature of this auto, for, besides the prior of San Isidro, Maestro Garci Arias Blanco, there were four priests burnt in person and one in effigy, and seven who abjured de vehementi. They contributed largely to the fines levied, amounting to 5,500 ducats and 50,000 maravedis, besides four confiscations of half the property. It may be remarked, moreover, that the officers and the crew of the ship Angel seem to have fallen victims in a body, for three were burnt, six were reconciled, and four abjured de viamenti. Trading with Spain was becoming more and more perilous. The little band of Seville Protestants was thus almost rooted out, and the succeeding autos showed a constantly preponderating number of foreigners that of April 19, 1564, only presented six relaxations in person and one in effigy, of which all the former were of Flemings, and two abjurations de vehementi, both of foreigners. The next was celebrated May 13, 1565, in which there were six relaxations in effigy for Protestantism, the offenders having fled. Of these, only two were Spaniards, one being the last inculpated monk of San Isidro. Of seven reconciliations, all were of foreigners, six being Flemish or Breton sailors. Of five abjurations de vehementi, three were of Flemings. There was also a cruel warning against harbouring and protecting these foreign heretics, for two Flemings of Puerto Real, for this offence, were visited, one with four hundred lashes and the other with two hundred, besides fines and banishment. 
we have thus virtually reached the end of native Spanish Protestantism. But the impression produced by the Valladolid and Seville heretics is still profound. Philip II addressed, November 23, 1563, to the Spanish bishops, a letter enlarging upon the efforts of the Lutherans to spread their doctrines throughout Spain. In these perilous times, he says, the Inquisition must be aided by having everywhere those who will report to it all suspect of Lutheran or other errors. The bishop is to see to this, and also that preachers shall confine themselves to setting forth Catholic belief, making no allusions to heresies, even to confute them. Confessors are to be instructed to charge their penitents to denounce to the Inquisition all whom they know to entertain these errors. No one is to be allowed to teach school without a preliminary examination by both the ecclesiastical and secular authorities, who must be satisfied with his character and habits. It is evident that extraordinary precautions and universal vigilance were deemed necessary to exclude the obnoxious doctrines. Yet these efforts were rewarded with no new discoveries, for Spanish Protestantism was a mere episode, of no practical moment, save as its repression fortified the Inquisition and led to the segregation of Spain from the intellectual and industrial movement of the succeeding centuries. A few sporadic cases may be noted from time to time, but the persecution of Jew and Morisco had trained the nation too thoroughly in an enthusiastic fanaticism, and the organisation of monarchy and church was too absolute for there to be any real danger that Protestantism could obtain a foothold. Yet the danger was deemed so pressing that extreme measures were justified to protect the land from the intrusion of foreign ideas. Philip II had lost no time, after his return from Flanders, in issuing the Pragmatica of November 22, 1559, by which all Spanish youth studying abroad were ordered home within four months, and all Spanish subjects for the future were forbidden to seek foreign lands for study under penalty for laymen of confiscation and perpetual exile, and for clerics of forfeiture of temporalities and loss of citizenship. The only exceptions allowed were the College of Albornoz of Bologna and those of Rome and Naples, for Spaniards residing in Italy and that of Coimbra of the professors there. It would be difficult to exaggerate the unfortunate influence of this in retarding Spanish development yet it was but the first of a series of measures which, by isolating Spain, crippled its energies in every direction. The spectre of active proselytism on the part of Protestants abroad was vigorously conjured up to stimulate vigilance and justify repression. Undoubtedly, the refugees in the Rhinelands and Switzerland were earnestly desirous of evangelizing their native land, and they laboured industriously to this end. But the difficulties in the way were too great, and the reports as to their efforts were systematically exaggerated. Carranza, in his defence, dwelt on his exertions in Flanders to check this traffic. 
but though he was told of barrels full of a forged letter of philip the second and of a papal bull at the frankfort fair for shipment to spain and of shops in medina del campo and malaga to which heretic books were sent the net results of his energy show how little substratum of fact there was in all this the career of julian hernandez proves that men who took their lives in their hands might occasionally bring in a few books but his fate was not encouraging if sometimes a missionary undertook such work his mission was apt to be brief hughes burnett of grenoble landed at lequieto biscay august tenth fifteen fifty nine on such an errand on the road to guadeloupe he fell in with a minim named fray pedro who pretended inclination to lutheranism and led burnett to unbosom himself as to his plans and hopes resulting in his speedy arrest by the tribunal of toledo when he boldly confessed as to himself and was tortured to discover his accomplices he was sentenced to relaxation in the auto of september twenty fifth fifteen sixty and as he is not described as pertinacious he probably professed conversion when for some reason his sentence was not executed in the trial of gillies to bobel or bonneville at toledo in fifteen sixty four we hear of francisco borgonon a french haberdasher who in his trips from france brought with him heretic books but they were for the benefit of a little huguenot colony in toledo the number of such frenchmen and flemings in spain was large and this rather than projects of evangelization probably explains the greater part of the smuggling attempted or performed there were constant rumours however of propagandism on a larger scale which served to magnify the importance of the inquisition and to justify interference with commerce in fifteen sixty six don francisco de alava a spanish envoy to france was busy in montpellier endeavouring to trace the agency by which heretic books were conveyed to catalonia where the number of french men was large and in the same year margaret of parma from the netherlands sent to philip the absurd statement that thirty thousand of calvin's books had been transmitted through seville whereupon the suprema issued vigorous orders for their seizure in january fifteen seventy two it announced to all the tribunals that the princess of beam jeanne d'albret had recently held an assembly of lutherans in which it was resolved to send some of their ministers in disguise to spain as missionaries the utmost vigilance was enjoined to counteract this effort all the commissioners were to be warned and prelates be asked to order all priests and preachers to be on the watch in june fifteen seventy eight it sent letters to a number of tribunals stating that advices from valladolid showed that the heretics had printed a new testament in spanish with a venetian print and were flooding the lands with copies and also that the heretic ministers had correspondence in spain great watchfulness was therefore commanded at all seaports and frontier towns 
and all persons found in possession of the prohibited volume were to be sent to madrid for trial a month later this scare was renewed on the strength of information from flanders but the records of the toledo tribunal at this period do not indicate that these efforts were rewarded with any captures whatever proselytizing zeal protestantism may have had passed away with the early years of the seventeenth century the latest work of the kind of which we hear is that in sixteen o three the prince of anhalt introduced into seville a number of copies of the bible of cipriano de valera and when catherine duchess of bar sister of henry the fourth heard of this she ordered six hundred copies printed and sent a huguenot gentleman named hirson de tared to the duke of la force at pau to learn how to transmit them to saragossa when la force gave him the name of parties there who could be trusted to handle them but the death of the duchess in sixteen o four put an end to the project the thirty years war gave the german protestants ample occupation at home and after the peace of westphalia proselytism was out of fashion yet it was a curious episode of the war of succession that when in seventeen o six the archduke charles and his english allies seemed for a brief space to be at the point of success when all the kingdoms of the crown of aragon had acknowledged him and he even for a time occupied madrid the opportunity was seized to circulate a catechism of anglican doctrine in spanish and other books prejudicial to the faith the energetic measures adopted by the inquisition to meet this assault show the strength of its apprehension it ordered the most careful watch to be kept at all ports and frontier towns edicts were to be published forbidding these and all other works of evil doctrine introduced by heretics and inquisitors were told to be energetic in punishing the guilty enforcing their sentences by censures interdicts and cessatio ad divinis when if these proved futile they were to abandon in solemn procession the disobedient cities even at the risk of their lives the rising of the spanish people in the same year soon limited the territory occupied by the allies we hear nothing more of the attempt at conversion under the shadow of the sword and taken as a whole the efforts to evangelize spain have attracted vastly more attention than their intrinsic importance deserves unsuccessful as were the endeavours to introduce the new doctrines in spain there continued to be occasional cases of spaniards embracing them partially or wholly of which a few examples may be cited there was arrested and brought to the toledo tribunal december twenty fourth fifteen sixty two hernando diaz a cowherd of san roman near talavera he was a simple-minded creature who had been at times melancholico in the sierra morena there had been much talk among the shepherds of the lutheran doctrines made known in the seville autos while working there he had heard of them they fixed themselves in his wandering mind and when the fit was on him he could not help talking of his imagicones as he called them although his wife and daughter and his neighbours cautioned him against it 
At his first audience he freely admitted having denied the power of pope and priest and asserting that salvation came by faith and love of God and charity and love of one's neighbour and not by the laws of the church or by indulgences and images and pilgrimages. The inquisitors treated him kindly, exhorting him to cast aside these fantasies which he professed willingness to do but could not control them. Physicians were called in who bled and purged him. He begged for mercy, but could not conquer his beliefs. This went on for a couple of months, so he announced his conversion through the teaching of his cell companion, a priest named Juan Ramirez, who confirmed it, stating that Diaz had talked like a Lutheran until the feast of the conversion of St. Paul when he had read to himself from his breviary the services of the day and had urged his conversion. Dyers had wept and professed his belief in the church, and Ramirez held him to be sincere. Thus far the conduct of the case had been eminently humane and considerate, but when the consulta de fe met, May 17th, two of the consultors voted for relaxation, while the two inquisitors, the ordinary and two other voted for reconciliation, confiscation and irremissible perpetual prison and San Benito. At an auto held September 19th, the sentence was duly pronounced and when the city of Toledo was assigned to him for a prison, he was thrust into the streets to take his chance of starvation. The case was not without interest as showing that the sentences read at the autos might be as effective as the dreaded missionaries. A heretic of different calibre was Don Gaspar Centellas of Valencia, a gentleman of birth and culture. During his trial, he evaded the accusation with skill, but when his counsel drew up for him a defence in which he was made to recognise the Roman Church and Pope as the Church of God, in which he wished to live and die, he refused to sign it. He renounced all defence and was obdurate to the arguments of the theologians, who were repeatedly summoned to convert him. There was nothing to do but to burn him, which was executed accordingly, September 17, 1564. His brother, Don Miguel Centellas, commendator of Montesa, was likewise exposed to a prolonged trial, but was acquitted in 1567. Connected with Don Gaspar was Dr. Sigismondo Arqua, who, though not a Spaniard, was a Spanish subject, being from Cagliari. His trial at Toledo occupied nine years. He was unrepentant to the last, and when, in the auto of June 4, 1571, he was delivered to the secular arm. A curious debate arose. The official entrusted with the execution of the sentences declared that, under the law in other offences, there was no burning alive, and he ordered Aqua to be garroted. The pious seal of the populace could not endure this ill-timed mercy. A riot occurred in which Aqua was pierced with halberds and other weapons. Fire was finally set, and so, half dead already, he was burnt. By this time, it was rare to find a native Spaniard tried for Protestantism, and women virtually disappear as culprits. 
Moreover, the cases which are classed in the records as cosas de luteranos were nearly all those which some trifling aberration or careless speech was qualified by the calificadores as savouring of Lutheranism, so that the statistics unconsciously exaggerate greatly the prevalence of Protestantism. Such cases were mostly treated with leniency, as that of Mosin Montserrat, a beneficed priest of the Church of San Salvador, accused in 1567 of Calvinism to the Valencia Tribunal, for saying that extreme unction was not as efficacious as formerly, that it was a mortal sin to administer the sacraments in mortal sin, and that the religious orders were not as strong as they had been. He escaped with having to revoke his utterances in presence of the chapter of San Salvador and was celebrating nine masses. So in 1581, Juan de Aragon, a peasant, was tried at Toledo on a charge of saying that masses for the dead were absurd, for the priest was a sinner who could do nothing with God, and that it sufficed to recommend oneself to God and the saints. He denied the accusation. The consulta de fe voted in discordia, and the Suprema merely sentenced him to abjure de levi, to hear mass as a penitent, and to pay a fine of twelve ducats. While such trivial matters form the bulk of the cases of so-called Lutheranism, there are occasionally more serious ones, such as that of Juan López de Baltuina of Calatayud of 1564 at Saragossa. In his written defence, there were sundry heresies, qualified as Lutheran, for which he was condemned to abjure de vehementi, to serve in the galleys for life and never to read, write or talk about theology. Nor were there altogether lacking cases, like those of Sintaeus and Aqua, in which conscientious conviction carried the delinquent to the stake, as that of Pedro Mantilla, a student of Verazil in Old Castile, who, in 1585, was relaxed at Saragossa as a pertinacious heretic, who was Arian in denying the Trinity and Lutheran in rejecting papal authority. The last relic of the movement of 1558 was the Catalan Pedro Galis, reckoned as one of the most learned Spaniards of the age, and highly valued as a correspondent by such scholars as Isaac Casalbon, Cuyas, and Arias Montano. As early as 1558, he had commenced to reject some of the Catholic dogmas, but he escaped suspicion and enjoyed intimate relations with Archbishop Antonio Augustin, who made him one of the interlocutors in his celebrated Dialogi di Emendatione Gratiani, the first assault on the authority of the false decretals. About 1563, he left Spain for Italy, where he made progress in heresy, leading to his prosecution by the Roman Inquisition and the loss of an eye under torture. Abjuration saved him, and in 1580 he returned to Spain, where Don Juan de Idiaque sought to secure him as tutor to his son Alonso. 
In 1582, he passed through Italy to Geneva, where he married and occupied the chair of philosophy until 1586. He rejected some of the Calvinist doctrines, and leaving Geneva, he taught in Nimes, Orange, and Castries, holding frequent disputes with Huguenot preachers. Accompanied by his wife and two little daughters, he was on his way to Bordeaux in August 1593, when the leaguers at Marmande arrested him as a Huguenot. With his precious accumulation of manuscripts and books in ten bales, he was delivered to the captain Pedro Saravia, who had been placed by Philip II at the service of the Marquis of Villas, governor of Guyenne. He made no secret of his belief, and Saravia was impressed with the extreme importance of the information which the Inquisition could extract from him as to his co-religionists. But the governor of Marmande refused to convey him across the border, and when Villas was applied to, he obligingly offered to hang or drown the heretic, but shrunk from the responsibility of extraditing him. The distracted wife was imploring the officials to liberate her husband, and Saravia was consumed with anxiety, lest she should succeed while he was seeking the intervention of Philip. In this he succeeded. Gales was surrendered to the tribunal of Saragossa, where he freely admitted his faith and stubbornly refused conversion. But his endurance was mercifully spared by sickness and death after his third audience, and as an impenitent, his bones and effigy were burnt in the auto of April 17, 1597. In all, the cases of so-called Lutheranism collected by Dr. Scheifer up to 1600 amount to 1,995, of which 1,640 are of foreigners and 355 of Spaniards, and he estimates that he has succeeded in finding about two-fifths of the order de fe of the 13 tribunals of the mainland. This probably conveys a reasonably accurate impression as to the comparative numbers of the two classes, but it would be a gross error to regard all the Spaniards as real Protestants, for the great majority may be assumed to have been Protestant only in the imagination of the Calificadores. End of section 53